0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. So today we have a very, very special guest. Mr. Pete Chapman will be joining us. He is a prolific television film director. We're very lucky to have him. I thought with such a special uh, guest for the episode, maybe we should do something extra special for <laughs> for the cold open. So I've prepared something without Nick at all. He's unaware of what I'm doing. Uh, he's had no say in it. And he's finding out as he listens (laughs) who I am with here today. So I'd like to introduce you, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, Mrs. Nick Walker, Sarah Joyce.
1: Hello, my darling dear.
0: Hi, it's so nice to be here. It
1: is so good to see you. Your beautiful eyes, they match your shirt. In person. So well.
0: 3,000 miles away from your husband. Yeah,
1: yeah, the time has come. It was so
0: easy to just get in the car and drive to San Diego and here you are.
1: We're so conveniently close of, to each other now. Out of now. my
0: dreams and into my state.
1: Yeah, uh, out of the dreams <laughs> into your car into my home where you are right now <laughs> where, you where you belong.
0: And nothing that can do about it. Which is the best part.
1: He can. He's just so far away. He can't help.
0: We're just just looking into each other's eyes right Mm
1: -hmm, now. mm -hmm. Your eyes are beautiful, just like the ocean. Pretty
0: blue, huh? Yeah,
1: they're gorge. Yeah. They're gorge. Nick is at home with our cat, taking care of him.
0: Oh, cool. Cool cat, Nick
1: yeah he's just there yeah that's out. great I think he I think he texted me earlier being like hey Ferris and I are gonna nap and then I'm gonna make some oatmeal <laughs> I'm like great Nick
0: he has no idea yeah he,
1: he had no idea the beautiful afternoon What's I had ahead on. of me
0: so tell me a, a little bit about uh, what you're doing in San Diego here
1: so I moved to San Diego. Um, I am starting as a grad school student, graduate student. Is that a thing? A grad school grad, you're student. you a grad,
0: a grad student.
1: Yeah, a grad student. I'm getting my MFA at the University of San Master's Diego. Master's program. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Old Globe, which is really, really exciting. Um, this has been my number one choice of a school for a really, really long time. Love the faculty. Love the head of the acting department. Uh, so, yeah, I, I touched down in San Diego about like a like a week and a half, two weeks ago. And I already have a really unflattering farmer's tan. <laughs> uh, and I'm really, really excited about this weather, about these beaches. Yes. Here for it.
0: We are so happy to have you. Do you hear that, Nick? We are so happy to have you.
1: I'm just so happy to be halved by you. That's what I'm happy about. Do you
0: want to go get dinner with me?
1: Let's go get dinner. There's this really great place around the corner I think I heard of. I'm there.
0: Yeah. And then maybe a sleepover. Little justice Little justice Little justice
2: Alex, I'm terrified because I have no idea what our cold open is. Yeah, that was fun. That was
0: fun. What just happened? No,
2: I don't know what just happened. I don't like that. I don't like not knowing. I don't like that you have th- this much power. And and we've this is a recurring theme in our show at this point. The fact that you just have power over whatever happens in here, which
0: it's you know, it's really all it's really all that I have.
2: I mean, that's is that not a microcosm of our country? It is, uh, you know. <laughs> where where i can do whatever i want and then you just change the system to to serve your needs you sick bastard Uh, that is correct (laughs) but welcome welcome to this episode of little justice i have no idea what you heard prior to this but i'm sure it's something that is just completely offensive to me and mine uh i'm nick walker i'm alex smolo and uh, we are so happy to be here we have an amazing 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 guest Uh, with us today. Somebody who actually is an alum of our school, but more to the point has directed in TV and film, has a podcast of his own. We are just so honored to have him. Uh, Pete Chapman, come on in. How you doing, my friend?
3: Hey, hey, hey. What's up, Nick? Alex, thank you for welcoming me to the podcast. I'm happy to be here and uh, chop it up with you gentlemen.
0: Yeah, welcome. You you might not remember this, or maybe you do, I don't know, but Nick... How Me and Nick Met was my student film at NYU, uh, of which you had a little, a little part. I don't know if you remember, but um, Pete in, what year was it, 2007, I think, did a documentary called 761st, mm-hmm. about the 761st tank battalion, platoon of black soldiers in World War II. And, and the film Me and Nick made was called Borderland that dealt with, with similar subject matter. Uh, And I remember very fondly getting to sit down with you a couple of times and just kind of talk about about the script and about the content and, you know, making sure it was going to be the best it could be. Yeah, we we uh, we wrapped in the conference room of the production
3: center, right? I
0: think so. Yeah, Yeah.
3: I remember that. Um, That I remember making uh, you were making an ambitious film, which is always impressive and what you should be going for, I I felt, um, with a student film, because how else are you going to learn if you don't go for the fences?
0: How else are you gonna learn? You just got to swing. You know. Luckily, that one turned out. But uh, you spent a good amount of time at NYU, and you've since. I, I kind of. I've been interested, so I've been. I've been following you a lot on on social media and just kind of tracking your career because I always really admired. Uh, you were kind of one of the professors there who, um, just sort of your dedication to the the craft was always present. You know, you came in every day and you're just like ready to work. Uh, you and Anthony Artis and you, you just had like your whole. Um, The whole attitude was like just get out there and do it, and I think that that was really inspiring at the time. So to watch you evolve your career from that into into sort of this prolific, you know, TV direction, can you you talk to me a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, I can. It's a great time to chat about it because I I just finished the draft of a book that goes into the whole journey. Oh, amazing! It focuses on anecdotally, like how I went from like a guy picking up a super eight millimeter camera to an NYU student film that goes to Sundance to a feature film with Zoe Saldana and Hill Harper and Dorian Missick that, you know, gets a limited theatrical deal and then a Showtime uh, cable premiere. And then, you know, crickets. And then I'm I'm teaching at NYU while working a, a administrative job and making the documentary while sitting behind that desk. And winning this Tribeca Film Institute competition in 2008. And, you know, all that I just ran off. That's like a nine-year period right there. And so probably by the time that we crossed paths, I was in the valley, as I like to refer to it, uh, where I was like trying to, having, having made two features, a doc and a narrative, neither of which brought the industry attention to me that I thought I was supposed to get, Mm -hmm. Um, going back to 2001, like going to Sundance with my thesis film with Kerry Washington. Like I, I kept knocking, like checking the boxes of what I'd been, uh, told were the milestones for a student filmmaker and then an indie filmmaker raising half a million dollars to make a feature. And, you know, none of those, those kind of expectations were met. And so around 08 to like, 2014, I was there at NYU and I probably wrote like five different scripts that I was really focused on triangulating. I was like, all right, well, if they're not buying what I'm writing and they're not digging what I'm making, heart and soul, then maybe if I look at what's being made and and I can kind of shoehorn these kind of political things and cultural uh, things that I'm interested in to these genres, then i'll be able to make things happen and of course that didn't happen and so <laughs> um all during that time i had built up my production company from videos to actually doing branded content and making money i left the administrative job at NYU i was adjunct faculty but i was kind of easing away from that because of the politics connected to it that were just not worth uh the time in my opinion mm-hmm. and I went and made a short film um, that was quite honestly me returning to the kid in 1993 who picked up a super eight millimeter camera. And so Mm -hmm. I made this short film um, with money that I made for my production company. I basically like held myself accountable to all the shit I'd say to other people. And I ended up spending 30,000 on this short film really as an exercise to see what my abilities were when left to my own devices Mm. and this short was called black card and it starred, um, Dorian Missick, who've been in my film since NYU, his wife, Simone Missick, Hisham Tawfiq who was on blacklist at the time. And, uh, that short, which I made with the expectation of only being able to watch it and say, okay, that's about 80% of what I hoped it would be. Got picked up by HBO. And that led to four TV director programs um, for diverse directors, as they like to call it. And Mm. then I shadowed on eight to 10 shows over like a three year period. I got representation because of a deadline article that announced I had been selected by one of those programs to watch TV being made as a shadow. And that's how I got a manager. And so all the things that I learned over that journey of like how to run a company, how to navigate politics, how to, uh, brand and present myself. I was kind of now able to like literally just put the microwave on high, so to speak, and, and, and kind of key into all of those things that I had learned work in navigating new environments. And, uh, God, I'll wrap this up, but, uh, the first episode I I booked was blackish. And the irony in that is that I had met Kenya Barris back in 2002 on my first fundraising trip on my feature premium. And then if I hopped from my first episode to March 12th, when I got, uh, much like the entire industry, I was shut down. Um, I was prepping the season finale for All Rise. And number one on that, film i mean i'm sorry on that show is simone missick no 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 <laughs> the co-lead in my short black card that i made yep. that hbo picked up
0: all so comes back around
3: it it all comes back around man it really that's
0: does. that's a winding road <laughs> I, I i guess it's the, it's the kind of thing where you can't ever really know how it's going to happen i think it's that like stick to itness right that like you even when you're in the valley knowing that like you can't just you can't just give up <laughs> Like, you know, like what what else are you going to do? And just just trusting that that putting in the work over and over and over again is going to, you know, set off one of these weird fuses. <laughs> but what I what I also like, I mean,
2: like back to back to that point, what I also love about that story is is the full circle ness of it. The fact that you know these people who you know, just come in and do it because they love you, you know, you all rise together. I mean, and it's so funny. Cause when I was looking at your, you know, you know, going back through your incredible, you know, filmography, um, and, and all the TV shows you've directed, I mean, literally in terms of our friends, like you have, <laughs> you have, you know, in, in the past two years, cause I mean, what, how many TV shows have you, have you directed for in the past two years alone? You know, you've hit up insecure. So our boy elan mm-hmm. um, who, was uh is on is Daniel on insecure and that that was my it was like my I, I he was my Rosencrantz when I directed Hamlet wow um and and then you did I think you did last O G yeah right so so that's my boy D Watts yeah. is on that D, D Watts another Broadway cat he's and great. then um oh no he's I mean D and, and Alex if you don't know D Watts or if anybody doesn't know D Watts uh, check out that man's Insta check out that man's Twitter I mean his he's a, an amazing spoken word poet and he also is um just. Incredible activist and pillar of the community, and I, and he's he's my brother, and he he literally taught me so much of what I know, um, about this industry. And then single parents with Taron was our king in Hamilton, yep. So that's my boy. And then the the thing that I have to just we I have to just fanboy about to you, uh, and I don't know if Alex prepped you for this or not, but if you didn't, I apologize. <laughs> so you have to understand that for the past I'd say since since my college breakup in junior year. Uh, so that was two thousand nine. There has been one show that has kept my soul alive, and it is the it is literally the show that like like brought me and my wife together, and that is of course always sunny in Philadelphia. Huh. D Day is one of the best episodes of this, of that last year. Like straight up, I just I literally sat watching that. Like this is, and it's it's always ridiculous. That episode in particular was so ridiculous. I, so I, as soon as I knew that you were coming on, I was like, yo, okay, I got it. I'm not gonna, I don't wanna, I don't wanna take up too much of your time or, or get away from the point of this, of this podcast, but I, I have to know what that experience is <laughs> well, being on that set and directing that show. You know,
3: timing is everything, isn't it? Cause on my podcast next week, I've got Rob McElhenney. So, oh, God oh, damn, damn it. it. And he's oh. – um, You know, I I was actually after All Rise, I was going to go do um, three episodes of Mythic Quest because I had done one last year. Um, And so he I mean, they're great, man. They're like they everybody over on the Sunny team. And that is also the Mythic Quest team, although um, Charlie is uh, a creator, but he's not in the show. Um, Yep, And it's just a whole nother kind of way of working. Which is the skill that I think an episodic director has to develop, which is you have the way you want to work and, and you have mm-hmm. these tools that are available to you in your directorial toolkit, yeah. both psychologically and technically. <laughs> and then you have to adapt to what kind of house they're building. You know what I'm saying? So like. They do a lot of improv. There's a lot of figuring out the scenes in the middle while we're shooting, like a reset, like, Mm -hmm. oh, 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 Nick, Nick, uh, take it back. Say this, say this, say this. Okay. All right, cool. Uh, You know, and it's like that kind of deal. And it, it can seem like chaos, but when you're in in the 14th season of a show, you know what the music is, you know? yeah. And so, um, yeah, man, I just kind of get in there and try and, keep my eye on the blind spots. Like, hey, can we do a, mm. a different kind of shot here? You know, or, mm-hmm. you know, I noticed this, that was funny, but like, I don't know, I'm kind of thinking this might be a, a funny take. And if you're open to it, let's try it. And I feel like on the shows that have been there, uh, been around longer than most. Um, I I almost view it like, can I come in with a level of excitement that perhaps, and I'm not saying this is the case for everyone, but but perhaps reignites the excitement that they had when they started. Mm,
0: Yeah, exactly. Interesting. I mean, is it walking into a production like that where they've done 14 seasons? Are the producers at that point almost like brand script supervisors where they're like, they they need to make sure that that what's coming out the other end is completely on brand. Like, is there preparation for that that they give you or that you do yourself in terms of because it's a very different show from from let's say like Grey's Anatomy right. that you do right. Like, you need to know coming in that you have a complete handle on the tone. Like, what's what's the process of making sure that you're you know handling their baby properly, basically. You know, it's
3: so here's the here's you know when you think about I'm gonna loop this back to to those soldiers in in 761st right. The the reason that these tankers were called up, um, these black tankers were called up uh, for uh, duty during the Battle of the Bulge was that I believe 282 tanks were destroyed uh, on D-Day. And they had these black tankers who were down in Louisiana and Fort Hood, Texas and all these places. Um, Basically, like, we're never going to put you in action but yeah you can be a tanker because we have to have you know units of black folks as well and what happened was they got so damn good from 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 doing nothing but war games every day all day with no action that they were literally the best ones and Mm -hmm. so you know in that journey for myself from 1999 graduating nyu until 2017 directing my first episode of tv I was just building up skills, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like Mm, I was building up, like, you know, how to, how to talk to people that don't want me to talk to them, Uh, how to deal with somebody that they're telling me is, um, you know, confrontational. But if I figure this out, I can see where they're coming from and perhaps we can have some rapport. How can I shoot this scene in 10 minutes? You know, like all of these things were being honed and crafted, not out of desire, But because of the fact that it was very hard to break into television directing as basically not a white guy, in all honesty, Um, that by the time I started to work, I had developed the these systems that are almost like, got it. This sounds pompous as hell, but they're almost like Kobe like. You know, like I was, <laughs> I was, I was listening to a, a interview with a basketball player who met Kobe because, you know, everybody like I know you guys now going back. Right. But all these basketball players meet in high school, middle school. And this yep. player said. Kobe in high school was like, why do you play one on one basketball? I'm, I'm sorry. Why do you play pickup basketball? That's a waste of your time. He was like, hmm. you could go to the gym and, mm-hmm. and and for two hours work on your skills and pick up basketball, you're going to get, what, four shots? You know what I mean? And mm. it'll be in a totally non-game type environment. And so um, for me, it was just working. You know, I, I watch every episode of a show. Um, I've got a meeting for a season two show on Friday. And right now I'm like a third of the way through the season, but I'm watching all 18 episodes because I I got to know what you guys do. Yeah, and mm. with that, then I make notes of what it, I mean, I kind of don't have as much time as I like, but I'll make notes of what I what I watched, the themes, the character arcs, the way it was shot, things that I questioned, things that I thought were great, things that I thought could maybe be enhanced, you know, and and, and then I come in there um, understanding the DNA of the show and being somebody that they can they can trust with it in the same way that if you were And I don't like these metaphors because they can kind of diminish what we're, what we are actually doing, which I hesitate to do. But like, if I was babysitting your kid, like I got to know what they eat. I got to know when they Mm eat. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And, and then once I have those basics, then I can become like the best babysitter ever because of how I do those things.
0: Yeah. Do you have to prove to them that, that you like the kid too, or just that you are able to take care of them? Like, like, is there an expectation for you to like come tell them how much you, you love the show and how much you want to work on it from like a passion standpoint, or is, is TV directing kind of a technical? I
3: believe it's a passion. I I mean, I, I have shows that I'm pitching that some are a year old, some are 10 years old mm-hmm. and anybody that's going to sit across from me at a desk better be passionate about that joint because, <laughs> because, yeah. you know, I I want to know that, you know, like there's, any episode of TV will find its way to air, but we all know like you can have your favorite show. And even if you don't know the technical stuff, you can have a favorite show and be like, that episode wasn't that good. Yeah. And it, it all comes down to the script, of course, but like a script that's in the pocket can be badly directed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And so it's up to you to kind of like show that their show's in good hands. and. Once you deliver on it, then they invite you back, which is the first sign of trust. And then you maybe try and introduce more things that you think fit the show. And you probably may have less resistance because they know you're not trying to do things because you're trying that you think that some there's some auteur theory at work mm-hmm.
2: right And just to circle back to another great point that you or that you kind of inadvertently brought up it seemed like the the idea of this you know this kind of let's call it what it is i'm sorry alex i love you but white boys <laughs> club that we got you know what i mean like that in 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 every industry it exists um and and the first place my mind went was do you feel especially you know now that we're kind of in this wonderful renaissance for in a lot of ways of black art where we are we are finally getting a lot out there um as as far as we have to go (laughs) do you feel have you ever felt that there is a pressure on you to kind of be that black director for these shows have they have there been any instances where you've been kept in a certain lane because of 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 your racial makeup do you feel that um when you come on a show like an always sunny um is there is there any even if it's pressure you put on yourself to you know especially like I love that that crew but that is I mean their first episode is literally about how white they are um, you know what I mean like what what how do you kind of or are you finding ways to kind of subvert that and and keep pushing those
3: expectations? God, you'll find I I kind of don't like what words mean often, so I I, sure, I end up stumbling sure, sure. through them. Um, but I would say. While I don't mean the word this way, the only burden that I carry is to ensure that new directors, emerging directors coming behind me, like, you know, 30 episodes ago would not get tainted by the shit I did. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I like when I interviewed for um, Insecure season two basically, I I, w- I didn't get the job because I was a, I had not yet done an episode. And, mm-hmm. you know, there may have been other reasons too, but that was like, perhaps the biggest, it was like, we can't like willfully give an episode of the show to someone that's never done it before. And mm. doesn't matter what the resume may be or how well you did, were in your meeting. Like, that's just a box, like, You've never babysat a kid and I have two kids and nah, Mm. (laughs) you know, I, uh, so I know that that's a real thing. And I want to make sure that anyone coming behind me, whether from a program or whatever, however, they got the opportunity, that's not going to be their experience. The other thing is that I also want to make sure that people aren't going to be like, Oh, black director you know what I mean yeah and so there are particular it's unfortunate that that's even a thought but it's a thought isn't it <laughs> you know and Jesus. and so you're just trying to but 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 outside of that right and I, that's why it was kind of like I hesitate to say burden the the ultimate thing is that I'm driven by the fact that another Michael Jordan another basketball analogy I remember Michael Jordan had this statement where he was like you know in every arena every night there's somebody who thinks I may not be as good as they heard and I'm going to show them. And, Mm. you know, that's a good motivating factor and and I'm kind of coming with the same thing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm here to show you, like, you haven't seen the extent of what I can do. If you sit back and and watch and we collaborate, I can, I can be a, a trusted collaborator to elevate what it is that you've worked on so hard for however many years.
2: I love that. And I mean, and dude, seriously, good. I mean, good on you for being on the forefront of that, because it is, you know, the work that you are doing now will make it easier. And 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 so and so much less pressure for directors coming through after you. Um, You know, we shouldn't be in a place where you are judging an entire (laughs) group uh, by one person's actions. Um, But but for you to be like, yo, you know what I'm just going to do, I'm going to show them that I can do my best. And thusly, that makes the road easier for anyone coming down after me that's i mean that's that's what the, that's what the revolution is you know what i mean so good on you dude and, and thank you for what you're doing um you know man it's just, so it's look look at this look look
0: look at the kind of people we got on this, this amazing show look at just, this just, just, we haven't even just, gotten to the theme yet i know the theme, <laughs> <talk>. the
2: theme. <laughs> <I can talk. laughs>
0: it's dude, great it, it kind of makes me want to just do a completely different show where we don't have to you know <laughs> pivot kind of into, just want, into something just, else halfway through
2: <laughs> which just makes you want to like just abandon everything that we've worked for for like like you know seven years yeah like, totally ah. just do just give it do all completely up Completely different yeah just give it all up dude and you know why not
0: i mean it's 2020 guys like whatever whatever
2: throw it out just do what we well, want i mean
0: yeah there's something like like 9 000 new podcasts a day or something like that like we can <laughs> is that can true toss one more on the pile That's terrifying i don't know there was some crazy number but well, anyway no. uh <laughs> let's break in and steal the theme for stop the doing that. That's a
2: bad okay. So Pete, <laughs> Pete, here's something that's happened. Alex has been trying this for the past couple of episodes and it's really starting to piss me off. <laughs> he does this thing where he tries to like pivot into the theme <laughs> of whatever the movie is that we've chosen. By like throwing it in there, he'd be like, like, if it was like a crime movie, he's like, you know, if we don't talk about this movie, that'll be such a crime. And then inevitably, because he's editing the thing, alarm bells will go off, they'll be like a ding, 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 (laughs) like the word of the day. And I'm just stuck here listening to this crap, like, you know, and and also I'm making I'm already on edge because I'm making a conscious effort to try not to swear, because I swear too much on this podcast. And Alex pointed that out. So I'm like, I'm on my best behavior already. But then he goes off and does his thing. So it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing.
0: I will say but this you know, time I, w- I failed. That was not even Yeah, close. it was awful. That was not Don't
2: ever close. do that again.
0: Don't ever do... But guys, so yes. Yeah, so
2: the, the theme of today's uh, of today's episode is the heist movie. The heist movie, heist. which is such... I, I freaking love this theme Um, because one... I don't know if you get on and found this, but the movies that fall under a heist film are so varied. Like... You have movies that are truly about the heist, and this is similar to crime film, I think, in a way. Uh, films that are truly about the the heist itself and the crime itself, and then tr- films that use the heist as a way to explore character. And that was such a was that was that hard for you guys to kind of find find your your choice. Yeah,
0: I mean, I I think that uh, what I found in in looking at what qualifies as a heist movie, it's never about. heist it's about the people Mm -hmm. performing the heist right it's not about the object that they're going for the bank vault or the precious gem or the data or whatever it's it's about looking at the people who are doing it and why they're doing it um, and Mm -hmm. who they're doing it Mm -hmm. to so i think that Mm -hmm. that it sort of broadens the scope of like what a is. Like, it doesn't need to be a group of five or six people you know blueprinting a building and breaking in like it can it can be way broader Mm, than that yeah yeah,
3: that's all yeah, that's awesome. It, it's funny cuz I I was talking about it um with uh with a with a I guess one of my managers and uh, you know, we were just like I was like, "Look, the only thing that matters is who's who's doing it, what are they doing and why?" <laughs> <laughs> and then everything else just kind of becomes uh window dressing and style. Um Yeah and and that's the fun of it because there's this whole we all we all know how hard it is to go after this american dream so to watch somebody just go take that joint <laughs> and yep. and then find ourselves kind of rooting for their theft um is an interesting kind of emotional jedi mind trick that is always fun to to ride on a uh, in a getaway car. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, we talked about that. We did an episode on crime films a couple of weeks ago and um, the conversation became about these are people performing crimes, but like it, it doesn't like, how do you make people root for people who are, are technically breaking the law and doing something wrong? Right. And it's, 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 it's amazing how far the that phrase uh, like chasing the American dream like how far that goes in a lot of these like if you watch a movie like Ocean's 11 you could describe that as like they're just they're just after the American dream <laughs> you know it's like yeah. th- this idea that like it, it it boils down to to pursuit and is that pursuit valid is that something you want these characters to be pursuing or is it not Right I mean
2: and and the other thing, the other, you know, and talk about ways to engage the, your audience in a heist film. I think the thing that I really loved watching heist films, you know, for this was the realization that like it really is kind of a heist film is almost a writer's dream, because the exposition is a plot device, hmm. right? So many of these films, I think, you know, I look at, I looked at, you know, all the Mission Impossibles all the you know, and and you know, all these films. There's always a scene where they're planning the heist, right? There's always the plan the heist scene. There's always the, okay, we're going to go into here, you go into here, you do this, you do this, you do this. And what's brilliant about that is, A, you're giving the audience information. And the better writers find a clever way to, an even more clever way to dispel that information, whether it's through the argument of the people, you know, in terms of who wants to do which thing, or we shouldn't be doing this plan at all. But what's also amazing about it is you, autumn, it's, it's kind of that Hitchcock thing where you, um, you know, the, the bomb analogy, right? You put the bomb in the room. And then it doesn't matter what you're talking about, because we we know that there's a bomb in the room and we're just waiting for it to blow up with with a heist film and the exposition of a heist film. Once you're talking about what the heist is, that already sets up the expectation. So then when we see the actual heist, no matter what the film is, we already have this amazing if you've done your job right, this amazing structure by which to judge whether the heist is going well or not right so we're we're sitting we're sitting kind of tech checking off the boxes with you like oh okay did they do this did they do this did they do this and when they don't do that all of a sudden we go uh-oh and right. we're in like it's just it's just this fascinating way to like pull you into character without telling us anything about who they are what they are why they are we're we're already we're already just trying to see if they can pull it off um which is incredible
3: that's you know? interesting too because there's a there's like a new device as of you know i don't know last decade or so of And Mission Impossible, the last one might have done it too, where as they talk about the plan, they visualize Mm -hmm. what it might look like or how it should look. And oftentimes they're getting the, the red meat that audiences want without the characters having to go through any expense for it because it's not real. Yes. Right. So like, well here, and then you'll, you'll, you'll spin the cars out and you'll corner the Brinks truck and then 10 of you will get out and you'll shoot them. And, but nobody's, there's nothing at stake. It's just like a visualization of the exposition, which is another way to satisfy, you know, red meat audiences. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And I mean, they, they use it as a gotcha sometimes too. Like you, you're watching this happen and then you cut back and like they show up and, and, the guard schedule is different and suddenly everything's you know gone and yeah, done exactly
2: and that's and in whether it's the visual or the or the verbal it's just it just really puts you in a great position um and you're and also again going you know and this is what we talked about with the crime thing like there is that there is that west wing ideology where it's just like at the end of the day a heist is really theoretically smart people in a room figuring out a puzzle do you know what i mean and watching people think is always interesting i will stand by that and again i go back to the west wing as proof of that for for i i pete i'm a huge west wing fan that's like my favorite one of my my other favorite show um but literally that is seven seasons of people in rooms figuring things out and that i think is is at the heart of a heist film is is you know these people just like breaking it down and problem solving and uh and you want to be them right you know so it's it can it can go so many different ways the the other thing that's in you know trends that have happened i mean there's always there's also this trend do you guys do you here's your question for you does the mcguffin matter and I, I know like by its very nature it's not supposed to matter i find that that my love of these heist films like even if the mcguffin is just a MacGuffin, right and and, and for those of you who are listening MacGuffin, of course, being you know, I'm sorry if I'm mansplaining this. So please shut me up. But uh, MacGuffin being the thing that these characters are after—be it the money, the jewels, whatever—but I find that I actually, as much as like you don't care about the MacGuffin with the MacGuffin that's just thrown in there,
0: I I zone out. I'm like, if if it's not something that's worth it, yeah, I and don't know. I, I think it has to be. I think I think the really good movies, the MacGuffin represents something else, and it, yeah. and they and they use it. I know the the film that I picked. Does this really well where like, yes, the literal thing that they're chasing uh doesn't matter, but the character's relationship to it and everything surrounding it, like it couldn't be anything else. Uh, and it informs what everyone's going through. Yeah, you know, and you could swap it out, but like the way that they interact with it and what and what it represents to the characters and to the plot and to the story and everything, like it elevates. Uh, your experience following yeah, following yeah. the characters,
3: yeah. and and I think like with any genre film, the the heist, much like the horror film, offers a really good opportunity to have some kind of social commentary on whatever the crimes are. Yeah. Um, if you're uh, if you accept this mission, right, because it you can very well just kind of get by on high stakes theft and and getaway and interesting, witty, sarcastic characters and a little bit of sex in the middle somewhere, you know, but like it offers a nice architectural uh, design for you to really use those thematic requirements to say something more. And I think the best ones do that really, really Mm -hmm, well. Definitely. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Agree. Agree.
2: So, so uh, I mean, I I, I want to hear what y'all have to, I don't, Alex, I, I take that back. I don't want to hear what yours is. <laughs> That's fair. But, but I know that, I know that I have to get through yours to get to Pete's.
0: So like, let's do that. You know what I mean? Mine, I like, kind of want, I kind of want to dig into mine a little bit. So Nick, why don't you actually start and then I've, I'll go okay. second and then we'll, we'll get to the, and
2: we'll get, then we'll get to the, yeah. to the, the main event. Um, all right. So, so yeah, let's, we'll, I'll set this up. So, I mean, I actually think you guys will get this. I, in fact, I know you'll get this right off the bat and I always say that, but I really do believe it this time. Um, because this film is such it's just such a if you love film this is this is probably one of the best of the past five years Um, so we start in a parking lot not even a parking lot Uh, it's uh, like a a curb early morning in some uh, some you know wonderful city out there we don't know what city it is yet we see the front wheel of a red, beautiful car Pulls up We go inside the car Play is pressed on an iPod classic <laughs> a, rock, a rock track starts up The song is Bell Bottoms by John Spencer We see a young driver in the, in the front of the car Every beat of this bah, bah, Goes to a different character in the car so we start with this young driver. He has a couple scars on his face. He has sunglasses on. He has his headphones in. He's bopping along to the music. We have in the back John Bernthal just being the badass that he is. <laughs> Sitting next to John Bernthal, of course, is John Hamm being the badass that he is. Issa Gonzalez right there too. And then they all get out of the car synchronized to the music. Get out of the car. Pull their masks up. They have these gator masks on. Pull them up. Walk into this bank. Do whatever they're gonna do, and, but we don't go with them in the bank. We're sitting with the kid in the car. Kid in the car is timing everything out to this music. Um, he's try He sees kind of what's happening in the bank. He's like, uh, you know, you can tell that he has some trepidation about it, but he lets it go. They run in back into the car. They got bags of cash. John John Bernthal, how old
0: is he, this driver?
2: He almost he like feels like or- a. Ba- <laughs> he almost feels like a baby like a like a baby like a baby driver like a goddamn baby driver the title of which we don't get to until like after way after this cold open i didn't realize that i was like i mean because so you know this this scene of course leads into easily the best car chase um like i said of the past five years It is, it is a, for every car chase in this movie is a masterpiece of filmmaking. Um, this, the, the opening in particular is just like how and why and who and where did you think of this? But yeah, Baby Driver is my selection.
1: So what is it you do? I'm a driver. Oh, like a, like a chauffeur. You drive around important people. I guess I do. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. Well, aren't you mysterious? Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) So when was the last time you hit the road just for fun? Yesterday. I'm jealous. Sometimes all I want to do is head west on 20 in a car I can't afford with a plan I don't have. Just me, my music, and the road.
2: I'd like that too. Written by Edgar Wright, the amazing Edgar Wright, and directed by him. Um, I actually got my hands on the script. He has three... Qu- or two quotes and and one kind of action or one kind of direction on his on his second page of the script. The first is a quote by T. S. Eliot, which is "You are the music while the music lasts." The second is a hmm. quote by Paul Simon, which says, "I was born one dark gray morn with music coming in my ears." And the third is just the line of his own, which says, "Every scene in this film is driven by music," hmm. and it is something that just when you watch this movie it is so apparent (laughs) the love and the craft that went into the making of it, because it is true. Every scene, the, the, the film is, you know, much more of an auditory experience than it is a visual or, or dialogue experience. It really is this kind of like sensory film where you, you know, because your, your lead character has a hearing impairment. um, Everything that he communicates is through music. Mm Um, and you learn about character through music that you, you learn, you kind of learn, you know, or the kid learns who he can trust and who he can't based off their relationship to music. One of my favorite scenes, you know, spoiler alert, uh, John Hamm ends up being kind of the big bad of the film. But earlier before he, before that happens, they have this, bo- like this really nice bonding moment over, um, Queens boardwalk rockers or, uh, Br- Brighton, Brighton beach brighton uh brighton beach rock you know it's just this you know this older man and this young kid who clearly wants for a father figure listening to this song and talking about like their quote unquote killer track right the track that gets them revved up to like go and do a heist and be the be the real man for the heist and you just see the bonding in that and then jamie fox comes in and he's his character is um very much like the i i you know he's he's the agitator of the of the of the bunch of the crew but he's also kind of like the truth of this of baby's you know baby <laughs> uh, you know it, well because right the main theme of this movie for baby is am I is this the right life for me do you mean what is the life that I want and Jay, you know I think the brilliance of the script is Jamie Foxx's character as much as he's just a dick he's also the the hard truth of like you were not cut out for this life like you're too nice for this life no you telling me no
0: I don't want to go in there I don't want to go in there. Well, hello, baby. Body hit the floor back there. You don't say shit. Now all of a sudden, you
1: getting you getting riled up about stopping at a dime. I don't want to go in there. It sucks. What well, with that recommendation? We got to go in now.
2: And his his immediate distrust of baby kind of exemplifies that, and and it also mirrors what happens to John Hamm's character, who very much starts off viewing baby like a like a you know a kid brother and a son and all these things, and then by the end of the movie, just wants to kill him. You know what I mean? Like it. He, it's it's just all inherent in their relationship to the music um, and i mean it's yeah i i can't say enough good things about this i mean you guys have seen obviously you've seen this amazing it's
0: it's been a long time i i don't remember everything oh, about it but i remember like it, it's got such a specific style and energy um, which i guess like we were talking about like is very important to a heist film right where where from the very beginning you're you need to get on the character's side and then be excited and have fun watching them work through this heist and i think this this presents a kind of thing like like he kind of remains an outsider the whole time like you said like he's not really cut out for this life so it's watching him he's in, in this like snake pit. he's right in the middle of everything going on but the whole time you know he's not really cut out to be there or like shouldn't be there or should you know is is different than everything he's surrounded by um which I, I think i think brings in an element of of like caring for him that you might not have otherwise
2: yeah you you really you like like we were saying you connect with him through action rather than words and you see from the beginning that he is somebody who's an outlier his cop i mean and this is this just goes down to amazing design elements right so all the all the high all the the participants in this heist have very definite colors jamie fox his character always wears like a fiery red isa gonzalez is always in like this like kind of bubblegum pink uh john ham is in this black you know and in, in blue um baby is dressed in uh white and bl- and and black he is his very costuming is somebody who's in between he he's he's in both worlds he has the angel and the devil on his shoulder um and just little things like that that are like you're not even you know you're not even consciously recognizing but it's just a testament to like just how subliminal film as a dot di- as a as a medium can be it can mm. really tell you everything you need to know without a, a single word I, and and the ride is just so amazing um and you ha- you also have these actors doing some of their best work. i'm sorry like like when you put actors in a good genre piece you're gonna get some of the best yeah. work you know what i mean like it's it's just it just gives them
0: room to play i'm reading now they had uh john Boyego lined up to play Big oh Big. i would have oh, killed wow. which would have changed the entire it would have been an upgrade for sure i love ansel algort but i i would love to see this movie with john boyega
2: yeah that's all that's a two that would have been amazing that would have been yeah. amazing yeah yeah but
0: all right good choice good choice thank you that's i, I know it. it is quite the breakdown
3: yeah. i like that quite the breakdown
0: um, that's what we do
2: that's what we do we just like, we get bored and we break down movies <laughs> so.
0: yeah. uh yeah Ow. that one my, mine's mine's different a little different um I got really excited just thinking about how to like how to talk about it as a heist movie, because I don't think a lot of people would describe it as a heist movie, even though that's very much what it is. Um, and the the core plot device, the core premise of what's going on, you really couldn't you couldn't do it in any other way. And like like it's basically a heist movie where instead of trying to take something out, they're trying to put something in. Huh. Um, and at the same time trying to take it's uh, you'll see you'll know you'll know in the first in the first shot what i'm talking about but very excited we open on a beach the waves are crashing in and out uh a man is face down in the sand unconscious uh someone walks up (laughs) security guard uses the tip of his rifle to push his shirt up sees he has a pistol we pan up the cliffs there's a giant japanese castle
1: (laughs) good for you
0: the movie is Inception. Inception. What is the most
3: resilient parasite? Bacteria? A virus? An intestinal worm? Uh what Mr. Cobb is trying to say, an idea. Resilient, highly contagious. Once an idea has taken hold in the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks. Right in there somewhere, for someone like you to steal, So, Saito, We can train your subconscious to defend itself from even the most skilled extractor. How can I do that?
0: Because I am the
3: most skilled extractor.
0: Inception. So like bitch. I, I, <laughs> I, I try to stay away from Christopher Nolan on this show just because you're Nick. You're obviously obsessed with Christopher Nolan, and like Shut it's, up. it's kind of easy pickings. But like this movie really is very one of a kind. Um, and when it comes to heist like like what I was talking about before about how a heist is about it's about the characters. it's about using what they're doing, uh, what their goal is um, to to get into who they are and what they want and their relationships and everything like that like literally Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Cobb like his romantic hangup that he has the whole time, his wife who's who's died, she still can show up like, as part of the work that he's doing. It's like not having to take a break. To go do the girlfriend story off to the side. And come back to the heist. It's like she's showing up and getting in his way. As he's trying to perform the heist. Um, which I think is, is a, a brilliant way to handle a relationship. In any kind of movie. But it, it just stacks this element on. Like he can be stopped in his tracks at any time. And it presents this, this larger than life sci-fi thing that doesn't really make any sense, but it doesn't really have to. And for anybody who hasn't seen it, you know the the basic premise is there's a team of people who go into your dreams, into your subconscious to extract information. And the twist is that somebody hires this team to go in and implant information. And so the movie becomes about trying to get to the son of a CEO, trying to get him to turn against his father, basically. And they want to implant the idea in his mind to do that. And the whole thing is, is can they, can they, but like at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter because by the time you get to that final room and they're in there and, and they, they do what they need to, to implant that idea, you've gone through everybody's stuff, <laughs> you know, literally through their subconscious and all the, the stuff they bring up, who they are come into the world in, in like physical, literal manners, um, and I just think it it stays exciting the whole time. It's a movie you can go back and watch a thousand times and always be pulling something new out. And yeah, as a heist film. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Pete, Pete, did you, uh, are you, are you a Nolan fan at all?
3: I am. You know what, you know, the thing that I, I really appreciate the most about Nolan is when you watch the following and you, I uh, see him go to that into that apartment and the Batman insignia in yep. there I'm like wow talk about wanting to do a movie for a long time <laughs> um yep. but yeah I'm a, I'm a fan I'm I'm I like I like how thoughtful the films are I think the filmmaking is top notch some of them have maybe been a little beyond how much I want to think about something? <laughs> sure, sure, <laughs> um, sure. You know, yeah. because it's funny. Like I, I, I have this. I, I've identified my syndrome, which is in a world where I feel like not all of the stories of the people that look like me are told. I kind of don't gravitate toward the hyper fantasy, you know, mm. surreal kind of like explorations of things that. I'd sure. much rather just like tell that in a version of somebody living that in 2020. Um, right. but I mean, he's a, he's, he's dope. He's definitely up there as one of the top filmmakers.
2: No, it's, it's, at, it's so funny. Cause that's literally the, if you ask my mom about any movie, you know, like that he makes, that's exactly, she's like, look, it's hard enough being a black woman. Without having to without having to go and think about like you know all these all these things that he's trying to pull me towards, and also especially with again, I, and I, I will say this as a black man who does love Christopher Nolan, it's like I watch your movies, and you know we're just, we're just now getting to the first movie that you have a lead who looks like me, um, you know what I mean so like it's not not for nothing, but like there is that separation, right? Um, what I do love about his movies though is his movies for the most part, and and again this I don't know the man. But it just seems to me like he's created a, a canon of films that are just all allegories for filmmaking, especially Inception. Inception is literally what is the shared dream that is cinema? <laughs> that is literally what does it take to implant an idea in the audience's mind? And and of course, the ending of the film, which, you know, everybody debates back and forth about. I mean, the point is that it's like, is cathar- I mean, the question he seems to be asking. And again, I could just be talking out of my out of my ass right now but it seems to me the question he's asking is like is catharsis in real life any more or less valuable than catharsis in cinema hmm. and his answer is no right it's it's the the things the things that we can make you feel in cinema are 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 just as important as the th- i mean it's it's the importance of art um so i just i just anybody i agree with you i don't i, I sometimes i don't want to think that deep and i'm like yo you're just you're, you're even thinking too deep for yourself um, <laughs> but I do I do admire somebody who takes his art form and tries to make it accessible and try and tries to raise the level of discourse the uh, in in you know about, about his art form right um, so I, yeah but but I, I totally see what you're saying for sure for sure but yeah Ooh, now
0: we get to, sure all right
3: so let's, I'm get a- the,
2: let's get to the real one
3: so, all right, I you know I feel like with this audience and with these hosts, well, none of these get very far before they're identified. <laughs> but let's see if I can, <laughs> let's see if I can mask it a little bit. Um, oh, you will, you will. So it opens up with a song by Sukhvinder Singh and Sapna Awasti, and you hear it, and you're. Like, oh, interesting choice. <laughs> and it sounds great, but you're just kind of like, knowing the director, knowing the, the folks in the film, you're kind of questioning, is this a thematic choice or is this some cool music to bob my head to as the Universal um, logo loads in front of me on my screen? Um, and then we move into... Uh, a voiceover that deals with many of the things that you both already identified in describing the heist. So it immediately uh, and I, and I think you know from from those six things seem to be um you've got who's the leader um you've got who you've got who's the team um you've got what's the motivation or why. You've got the plan, the how, um, and then you've got, you know, how does it all play out? And so, in this voiceover, we learn what this gentleman's name is. Um, We learn that there's a difference between being stuck in a cell and a prison. And uh, then we learn wherein lies the rub. And from there, we begin to see what looks like 10 days of B-roll um, <laughs> uh, with so many inserts of various close-ups of uh, urban, metropolis, gargoyles, and street signs, and outer limits, carnivals, and uh, all the things that kind of give us an uh, a clear sense of place, and then we are introduced to our bank. And as with anything, we're given the status quo, and there's great detail given to introducing the characters, so we know who's the. uh, I don't, I don't know what your policy is on language, so I'm getting. Go for it. Go go for it. So uh, you know who's the asshole and who's the tough guy and who's the you know it's just kind of introducing. It's almost like an introduction of the reverse Dirty Dozen not the people yeah. who are going to come together to uh attack this uh bank for whatever reason but the people who will bear the impact of whatever happens in that bank.
2: And can I can I yep. can I, can I jump in can I jump in and say I I think until I saw The Five Bloods I thought this was his greatest film since Malcolm X and I know that's not like a huge I know that that's such a, a I'm in the minority on that but I just thought that what he did with this film was
3: Brilliant! I, 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 I'd agree with you. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I mean, I, I think that I think Twenty Fifth Hour is an overlooked film. Yes, um, yes, yes. I need to watch the Five Bloods again um, because I have this tendency of working all day and then sitting down at like ten p.m. to watch a movie. Um, but uh, yeah, I would, I would agree with you. This was, uh, and I wonder how much of that has to do with not having written the script because that's the situation on this yep. and the Five Bloods. But that's probably a longer combo. Um, no longer. But yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you guys know what film it is, uh, especially when we introduce <laughs> our main character coming in from a van uh, that is a painting company. Mm. Uh, and then he gauzes over the security cameras, and we are watching Inside Man.
0: So, what do we got? I got an unknown number of suspects and an unknown number of hostages in a bank. And about a million spectators, and I can't see shit inside there, so I'm kind of busy. I understand. The way this works, Mr. Frazier, is I deal with Mr. Grossman, so if you need anything, you can speak with him, okay?
1: Oh, no, it's not okay, Captain.
3: Detective Grossman is away on vacation, so Detective Frazier is the big dick today, all right? Now, if you need anything, you can speak to me, all right? Guess it'll have
0: to be. That's the way it's going to be. Oh, inside, Ugh.
2: inside man. Like all what? of us
0: during quarantine. Like, actually, we're all like, inside men right now. We are <laughs> sorry, I, ha- I had to. I'll kill you. I'll kill you.
2: <laughs> um, what let me ask you this, Pete, with this movie, um, you know, obviously, both like you said, with this in 25th hour, he's he's not only looking at he's taking these two stories and he's very much matching them up against you know, post 911 New York, and I think you know, with this one in particular you get, I mean, he's, and he's always able to do this. He find, you know, he finds a way to tell a story, but then just get that social commentary in there. You know, the, the dude who gets, what is he? He, I think he's a Sikh and they, they, they bust him cause he's got a turban on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> like, do you, did you find that, I sometimes I find that he hits it too over the head like i I love bamboozled. I love bamboozled, but it's it was too it was almost too much for me. This one, however, was a nice balance. Do you know what I mean and and i I, I just did you did you find that you that you like were able to get what he was saying culturally without feeling like completely overwhelmed or
3: yeah, I mean I did you know it's funny we uh, my wife and I just watched bamboozled again a week ago. Um, as research for something. And in many ways, you know, he, the, it stands up and things that seemed ridiculous in there still happen. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, I, like even I remember when um, they ha- they have Savion dancing on the table. If you guys remember Bobby Schmerda, like that was exactly what he did, you know, before the charges came up and he was put in prison. But like that was three, four years ago. You know what I mean, and that film was in O2. and it and it was just as ridiculous then as it is now. But I think I think in this film, I think the con, I think the confines of genre meant that those kind of flourishes that are true to a Spike Lee film, because also yeah. this one wasn't called a joint; it was a film. Um, yeah, I think it allowed it. It kind of put some. Uh, uh I don't I don't I don't like the word guardrails that's what, what came to mind but it kind of put some guardrails about around where you could do that because you have to hit mm-hmm. those those theme you know heist film mile markers but the video game was great with the young kid oh, you yeah. know he always got uh that the Spike Lee shot in there with Denzel um approaching yep. the the bank and then just I mean there's so many actors in there like you both mentioned like he, Those folks, you just let them play, and and it's going to be a good scene. Let me tell you a story. During World War II, there was an American working for a bank in Switzerland. He used his position with the Nazis to enrich himself while all around him people were being stripped of everything they owned. Then he used his blood money to start a bank. Now, does this sound like it might be the man you work for? or am I just whistling Dixie out of my ass?
2: I believe we understand each other.
3: Good. So what the hell can you do for me since I clearly know more than you do and I've planned this to perfection?
2: Believe me, if I need to, I can change your entire program. So the sooner that you stop being my problem and you start becoming my solution, the better off you'll be. That cast was stacked and who, and that was, um, oh my God, his partner. Oh, she would tell.
3: Him. She would tell. Him. Oh my
2: like, God, dude. Yeah. I, and like, and that was before we even I mean, I didn't know who he was at that point. And then, you know, he, you know, obviously now he's, you know, one of the best actors we have. Um, but like, yeah, it's that cast was stacked, bro. Oh my god. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Incredible. Incredible. And 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 it's also, and I mean, this is something I love about that film too, is it's it's not even it's it's such a, you know, the heist has happened, but it's also like you're not even seeing it from the perspective of the people doing the heist. It's, it's Denzel figuring out what the heist is. Right. So you even have more of a puzzle box there.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. It's a really good.
0: I'm looking at his filmography now. I mean, Spike Lee has this, it, you know, it's nice that he kind of transitioned. There's a period of time, like the first decade of the century where he did, you know, he, he does what he does very well. Um, But I think there, there are, are concurrent themes obviously that run through all the early Spike Lee joints right and and the films are stylistically like you're watching a Spike Lee movie it was nice to see with with Summer of Sam and Inside Man and even Miracle at St. Anna like him him tackling him taking genre and being able yeah. to do what Spike Lee does best within those those confines and realizing that like this this man is <laughs> very very good at what he does in in any situation i mean even old boy old boy didn't really get a lot of good press um and i can't say that it stands up completely to the original um but the kind of the the i'll call it bravery <laughs> i don't know if that's exactly what it is but but to take a film like that you know with the filmography that spike lee has and be like let's do this one um was a bold choice i think oh, yeah. and and it's i love watching them work in those situations yeah
2: and and. In genre, I you know I would I would hazard to say that genre is something that is not unknown to him because even if you look at stuff like Mo Better Blues, like the genre was jazz. You know, what right. I mean, he made a movie that literally was jazz, and visually, just the way that the camera moved in that movie, the you know that that's I, I love that scene where Denzel is practicing his fingering on the trumpet, and it's just it's just that a, a, a kind of a variation on the Spike Lee shot where it's just circling around him in that three sixty. You know, everything about that was just enveloped or enveloped. why did I say enveloped, enveloped in <laughs> in what jazz is. So I just I think that he is someone who can very much adapt to the constraints yeah. of the given situation and and, and always has um so, so many cool results. Um but yeah, hell of it's, good choice,
0: it's, dude. It's funny you, you pick Spike Lee. Um there was a question I was gonna ask in the first part and we just, you know got away from it um i remember when i was in school uh going to a QA for four little girls the documentary that that mr lee did on uh the church bombing um and i remember him answering a question about uh I, I don't remember what the question was but his response talked about the the mysticism that film in general has on people and i listened to your most recent episode uh you have a podcast let's shoot with Pete Chapman everybody go check it out please it's amazing check it out um you talked about with Michael Spiller the same idea of uh you know film uh, in the film industry and movies you know carries with it this kind of uh, mysticism, right? People think that these things kind of come fully formed <laughs> and it, it, it ele- you know, out the other end, not realizing that it's, it's a daily grind of work over a very long time. And you end up with this product. People don't see all the, how the sausage is made. They just see the end result and it elevates, it elevates, you know, actors and directors and, and films, you know, to this like God-like level, right? Because it's, it's above and beyond. It's like, it's, it exists on another realm. Um, without knowing. So uh, what I wanted to ask was, was how in transit, in, in moving from, from making short films and working at a film school and all that, and kind of being in love with the, um you know, the, the, the craft and the art and watching a lot of movies and being in love with that process. How is it, how has it changed your perspective on film and TV to now be in the shit as it were? Hmm.
3: That's it's an interesting question, man. I, you know, I, I I don't think it's changed much. There's, I think the journey has been, and you all tell me if you agree, I think in the early years of your career, you're powered by what you know you are capable of, yet you don't have enough experience to convince other people that this is true mm. right so it's like you gotta have that otherwise you quit and so you're kind of driven by ego and like pride and whatever and talent hopefully um although it's not always necessary by looking at who, who makes
2: it <laughs> damn um, and, damn
3: you know like and and so then you start doing more and more work with and on whatever level and at a certain point you know by by rinse repeat, hook or crook, uh, cut and paste, like you get a a certain sense of volume behind you. And now more people are aware of what you do. And now more people are beginning to see what you've always known you were capable of. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what has been interesting to me now, getting behind the curtain a little bit and working is that my hunch was always correct which is i have not met any geniuses
1: mm.
2: i have not mm. met
3: anyone where i'm like now that's directing right <laughs> like i like i've met folks that like do certain things or many things like differently and, and and maybe more effectively than me like they might be uh they might have a better uh i don't know light-hearted vibe on set you know what i mean Um, Where they might be, you know, uh, able to—I don't know—fill in the blank. Um, But I, I I really haven't seen like folks where I was like in awe of what they were doing, and so that's Mm -hmm. been like the demystification process, while the affirmation of my own abilities, and the the kind of new target for me has been adding to the theater of the job, because Mm. you can do a good episode and, you know, uh, be, you know, more or less cool on set and, you know, deliver a director's cut that they're like, hey, pretty close, not much work left to do to it. But if you you could be less effective uh, in the delivery of the cut, and more engaging with like, you know, just as a personality on set, and how you move through the required things that happen, which is calling cut Mm -hmm. in action and talking to people and, being on scouts, like really elevating the theatrical performance around that, and that becomes ironically why people say, "Oh, let's bring Alex back." You know what I mean? Like right. I really, like being around that person for uh, twelve to thirteen hours a day for
0: two weeks. Um, so I don't. Do you, Do you think that's the consensus feeling across the industry, or I, I, my my idea of like studio executives are kind of people who buy into their own their own stories, right. Their own, like they, they aren't demystified. Like they, they love the the drama of, of thinking that someone's a genius or you know, they, they kind of Hmm. run a whole business that way. Do you, do you find it that that's the case?
3: Yes. That's a great point. I mean, I I think that, you know, you know what it is. I feel like it's just often in this, in this world um, I think genius might just be synonymous with volume of co signing.
2: You know what I mean? Damn. Put that on a (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah,
3: right. (laughs) And I feel like, you know, um, like like I mentioned, right? Like I got that, I had that um, deadline announced that I was being selected to shadow. And so that's how I got a a manager. But like that was my first in industry co-sign. Like Sony saying, we've picked this guy to watch our TV show being made said to the industry that we think he's hireable at some point, which then makes representatives, agents, managers say, oh, well, if Sony said that, they're telling that to other production companies, um, which means maybe the networks are also paying attention, which means there's a possibility that this guy can be hired now. And, you know, even with that situation, um, I was... You know, I always kept in touch with the people from that first program that I did, but it would be two more years before I actually did a Sony show, which was atypical, um, which happened after I got my first episode somewhere else, because sometimes um, it's just timing. And once there was a co-sign from ABC and people could watch an episode that aired, they could say, "Okay, now this isn't the um, most crazy Thing we're going to present this week <laughs> you know and they can comfortably say no he's done he's done the work and then yeah. all of those things kind of propel it and then you get to a point where you know because of the volume of cosine you get offered work by email and i'm not beginning to equate myself to any genius level but i'm 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 my point is that like in over a long enough timeline as you do more and more and that volume increases and people really get a sense of like, you know, how productive you are and how efficient you are. um, I think that's, you know, there's a quality to quantity as well.
0: Yeah. Huh. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot of interesting years ahead. (laughs) Um, I mean, as things exponentially begin to, to grow for you.
2: And and years behind, dude. I mean, no, this and is, years behind. Yeah, it's yes. such a it's such a such a, a, a an honor to have you on. And and it, it's so crazy because you know we, you know, at least for myself, I will say, you know, I I am. It's so funny that I'm running a film podcast because I am so much looking at this at least at this point in my career from the outside in. Like I I have made my career off of stage work, but this this art form has always been something that I have just loved um and so to hear you both talk about it and Alex I am giving you a compliment right now so like you know take that and like hold on to it because it doesn't it doesn't happen and it won't happen
0: ever again I will. um I'll it yeah. into that'll that'll be the beginning of the podcast that the cold nope. open is actually just going to be you complimenting me
2: I don't like that and I think you shouldn't do that but um you know I I think that it's I think you know one of the things that I'm hearing that I do love um, with both of our our industries, or you know, we're all part of the entertainment industry at the end of the day. But it really does come down to, like you said, the 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 quality of your work and the and the and the kind of the looking back and seeing what you've been able to amass over many years, and also the fact that you know you 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 work with people who like you. Um, not that you need to go around being friends, but it's just like like back to your back to the sunny guys. Like one of the things that I just find so admirable about them is. It just seems from an outside eye these are people who were friends first and they came up with a really cool idea and they stuck together and made it work. it you know come looking at looking at Lynn and everyone you know on the Hamilton team, like these were people who were just good friends right and made and 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 just wanted to be in the room with each other and that's why they've kept bringing us back and like even the you know the job I have now um you know uh, or had before the shutdown, the director of of this show, um, is, is my best friend's godfather from college. Do you Uh, know what I mean? Like it's, it's, uh, Alex is Luke Humphrey's godfather. Oh, is he the guy who did Yoshimi? Yeah. 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 So like, it's, it's just, you, you, you're in the room with people who, who, you know, you, you create your community and, and, and knowing that that you can kind of ride or die on the community you create is just a really wonderful thing to know for people trying to get in. So very cool y'all Pete thank you
0: thank you so much for being here um, if yeah. you want to see more of Pete's work just turn on your TV and it's gonna be there probably um, <laughs> on, 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 on many on many many stations ch- yeah. chances are you'll see something he's done uh, or you can go to his site uh, director.videos, videos dot video you do you're doing so much stuff during this quarantine you have a clothing line now. <laughs> You yeah. wrote a book. You have the podcast, Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. I mean, you're you're killing it, man. It's it's been really fun watching you.
3: Uh, man, I appreciate you guys. Uh, and thank you for the shout outs. Um, and yeah, I'll be I'll be listening to you guys moving forward and spreading the word. This is a, a great show.
2: Thank well, you. Thank you, Thank you, my friend. All right, Alex. All right, you're, you're, see you you're later. Good. See you later.
0: Little justice. Little Justin.